Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. I wish I could show you a picture of where we are right now. Uh, We're certainly not in the backdrop behind us. I wish we were, because that behind me is the island of Patmos, a very real picture of modern-day island of Patmos, and where the Apostle John was when he was given the revelation to share with the people all over the world. But that's not where we are. We are right now, if I could just, I wish I could, we are in an absolute whiteout. A snowstorm has come into northwest Arkansas. It is beautiful, there's no doubt about it, but there won't be much travel today because uh, this thing, I was up, oh, I guess, I want to say, if I'm not mistaken, around four in the morning, I was up at one in the morning, uh, just kind of watching, everything was normal, and I woke up this morning uh, to get ready for everything today, and of course, it is a whiteout. So, praise the Lord, I guess if you're in Minnesota, South Dakota, other parts of the country, you're probably thinking, that's so normal, what's the big deal? Well, here in Northwest Arkansas, in the middle of March, having a snowstorm like this is a little bit unusual. But it certainly is beautiful, and we're going to take advantage of it uh, in this manner. Today is Friday, hallelujah, and when the sun sets tonight, we will be entering into our Shabbat, and we are going to uh, allow for the shalom, uh, the peace of God, to really uh, work in our lives. But I think we're going to have a little extra time today. We're not going to have to wait till sunset and get all this busyness done. I think we're done for the day. 
uh, which is beautiful. And then we'll look forward to a great weekend. So, you know, what do you mean by Shabbat Shalom? Are we under the law of Moses? Heck no. Where we are is we're connected to God's heart. And what we learned in the first chapter of uh, the uh, book of Genesis is that when God's done doing something, when he was finished working for six days, he rested on the seventh day. There was no Mosaic law. There was none of that. It was God's very nature to rest. And you consider the, the, you know, the high levels of energy that you're putting out every day, doing what you're doing to, to do things the best way you know how to do them, and uh, consider just all the energy uh, of, of getting through these moments that we're living in. Well, what a time to refrain from working to settle down and rest and to enjoy the Sabbath day, Uh, you know, rather than getting into arguments, is it Saturday or Sunday? Is it the Roman Catholic Church said this and that, blah, blah, blah? Who cares? Quite frankly, all you need to know is that God rested on the seventh day. And quite frankly, Friday night to Saturday night was the day that he always rested. So anyways, um, you don't have to. Nobody has to. Our salvation is not based upon keeping the Sabbath day. That is just not true. Our salvation is based upon our faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ did some things on the Sabbath day that the religious people didn't like. So we're not talking about a forced anything. We're talking about walking and learning the ways of our Father. And if he took a Sabbath rest after six days and just chilled out and enjoyed what he had created, And that's really, I love about the Sabbath, it's a time to just sit back and observe and all the labor, sorry about that, all the labor that he did, and now he's sitting back and he is enjoying what he did. And I hope today, some way, during the day, today, tomorrow, you'll be able to sit back and enjoy the fruits of your labor You'll be able to sit back and say, okay, here's what we did this week. I hope it was fruitful. I hope it had meaning. I hope it had value. And uh, But as for me and my house, we're going to settle down. We're going to rest. We're going to allow our bodies to get some rest and uh, just to refresh and to re-energize. And I think that's just the greatest thing in the whole wide world. So anyways, having said that, welcome to the broadcast this morning. And uh, again, the, it's a whiteout outside. It's just absolutely beautiful. Uh, nothing but the white, precious snow of God Almighty. And I was reminded of a psalm. I want to share this psalm with you this morning. It comes out of chapter 51. You're probably all very familiar with it. Psalm 51 was a psalm of David, King David. And it went like this. Have mercy upon me. O God, according to your loving kindness, according unto the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And of course, if you get into the backdrop of this psalm, you you come to realize that this is David's prayer after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, after he had Bathsheba's husband, murdered after he had gotten into the insanity and the deception and the delusion in his mind because of his sin 
And then the prophet Nathan came and woke him up and he became, you know, you know, aware of his true condition. Well, after all this, David is now crying out to the God. And this is the apple of God's eye. This is David, a man after my own heart. This is King David, you know, the warrior man, the man. Okay. And yet he had done something so gross against the Lord. He had done something so grievous against God. And I just want to be upfront with you. Uh, David, uh, in some ways in our lives, uh, we should value and appreciate, you know, his life as a king. And, and, uh, but I just want you to know that the apostles of God in the New Testament are never found in the condition of David. Uh, in other words, just because one gets to a high place doesn't mean they have to fall. The apostles, they walk in their calling, and you don't see any failure in all of their lifetimes. Um, and that's really important. So, but here's David, and this is what makes him a man after God's own heart, because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we live in a sin sick world. And maybe there's an area in your life that you have just, you know, just blown it. Maybe you have sinned grievously against the Lord in some area of your life. Well, the prayer of David, again, I want to start from the beginning with that background, with that background, have mercy upon me. You know, God is a merciful God, and he is a God of mercy, and, and his mercy is what a lot of people consider to be grace, but grace and mercy are totally different. God's mercy is really his undeserved um, forgiveness or uh, what we deserve he doesn't give us. And I know in the definition of grace, people say the unmerited favor of God that grace is, but real definition of grace is the divine influence upon the heart that is reflected in the life. And grace is good. We are saved by grace, but grace works to bring us to where mercy doesn't need to be. Okay. And, and we'll talk about it in just a little bit, but maybe we just all need to know and remember God's mercy. He's a merciful God. He is a merciful God, and his mercy endures forever. And what I'd like to do, I, I didn't realize I was going to be here so quickly, so I want to go back. If you give me just one second, I want to give you the actual definition of mercy. Um, and I know it, it's so easy, right? So I'm just going to go on with the tender mercies here. And let's go. So in Psalm 51, here we are. Let's look at it. And here's what the word is. So, and I like what it says here. It's, it's to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. All right, so this, what I just said to you is accurate. It's actually um, at the very beginning of the, of the verse. It tells you the, the backdrop to it. And David again cries out and says what? David cries out and says, have mercy upon me, O God. And that word mercy here is the kanan. And that word actually means, it's a primitive root, uh, to bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior. Here is God. Here are we. And for God to bend or stoop to us, inferior, uh, it does carry the meaning of favor. So, you know, the superior one that could crush the inferior one, mercy is that you don't crush me, but you literally come down to where I am to bring me up. I deserve to be crushed, but you who have the power to crush, you come down 
and you bring me up and you show kindness rather than what I deserve. And this now allows, in my understanding of Scripture, for grace to go to work. And what the grace of God will do is to eradicate the thing that brought us so low, all right, our sin, namely. And we'll get into that. But it, it does mean favor. It means to bestow. Um, it means to uh, deal graciously, uh, to be merciful, to have pity. And I like that definition, to have pity. And so let's go in a little bit deeper into this. David's crying out, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. And that word loving kindness there, these are important words, is the kesed. And the kesed means just kindness. Uh, by implication, uh, God's, uh, you know, good deededness, um, his merciful kindness, um, just loving kindness of God, you know, according to your loving kindness, <clears throat> according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Now, this is a little bit different. This is the rakam, the tender mercies, which means compassion. All right. So here, the rakam the compassion, the, uh, it literally talks about the womb is cherishing the fetus. Wow. Cherishing the fetus. For all the abortionists out there that think it's just a fetus, well, here, the tender mercies of God is as though one is cherishing, protecting, compassionate, caring in the fetus. Why? Because there's life in a fetus. There's life in the blood. There's life in the tissue. There's life there. Uh, it talks about bowels of compassion, tender love, a great love. And so David knew something about the tender mercies of God, and he's calling upon God's loving kindness. He's calling upon his tender mercies, and he asked him to do something. According to your mercy, according to your loving kindness, according to your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And that word there, or that phrase, blot out, is the makah, and it means to literally wipe out and obliterate, to stroke or rub, to erase, wow, to uh, abolish. And this is David in his conscience asking God in, in heaven, in the, books of, in the book of life, where the deed was recorded, He's asking God to erase, eradicate, blot out, abolish this deed that I have done in your book of remembrance, in your book, you know, the books were open and every man's deeds were recorded, and he's asking God to blot them out, but he's also asking God to blot them out of his own conscience, because the memory of what he did, you know, the idea that he went into such deep delusion and dark sin and did what he did, which brought a curse on his entire bloodline, by the way, so I, I'm sure David is not just asking God to blot it out, but he's also asking God to blot it out of his heart, to blot it out of his conscience. And I believe that we're under a better covenant uh, with better promises. All of us who are enjoined to the Lord Jesus Christ and are in covenant with the Father through Jesus Christ, that we have a better covenant. So if David knew that the tender mercies of God and the, uh, the mercies of God and the loving kindness of God could actually perform such an act, then you and I should know that what David was believing for, praying for, and hoping for, we have the exponential in that. I mean, according to the word of God, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's not just light. 
That is an eradication and a blotting out of our sins that we stand before God not guilty, not condemned, no longer under the shame and reproach and the condemnation uh, against our lives. And we need to know that Christ has done this on our behalf. So David is literally praying to God to blot out his transgressions. All right. So the word transgression is a pisa, the pisa, literally meaning rebellion. Ah, here where David gets, David gets really honest with his heart. And he doesn't say, oh, Lord, I was born a sinner. And he does later on. But here in his initial confession, he gets into the idea of rebellion, a revolt. Okay, that's what he's asking God to forgive him for. So David knew what he was doing was wrong. In other words, when he was leaning over the balcony and he seen Bathsheba, there was something going on in him. He knew, don't do this. And yet his lust got the best of him and he's now pursuing his sin. All right, so he's asking God to forgive him for his revolt and his rebellion. I did rebel. I did revolt. Against who? Against you. I have sinned against God, not against Bathsheba in the first place, not against her husband in the second place. I have sinned against you. I rebelled and revolted against you. Now, this is important because I think this is one of the most honest things that we could ever do as believers is stop making excuses for our sin and understand that when we sin with all that we have been given, it is a rebellion. It is a revolt against God. And if we read the word and we know the word and then we have the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to keep it and then we do opposite of what the word says, then we are revolting, we are rebelling. And unfortunately, that kind of sin, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Um, and so we have to be very careful that the, the thing that we're, when we rebel against God in some area of his word, it could send us into a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. <clears throat> so David goes on in verse two, all right? He's admitting his sin, he's admitting his rebellion, he's, 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 he's reaching out to a God of mercy, tender mercy, loving kindness, <clears throat> and he says, wash me thoroughly. I know that there's men listening to this conversation right now. I hope they are. That you have probably prayed this prayer 100 times. Wash me thoroughly. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Now, before I take one more step in this, I'm going to continue in this, but I want to put up on the board right now a number during this broadcast, and there it is. It's on the screen, 479-233-3774, and it's for prayer. If during this broadcast today you find yourself needing prayer and you need somebody to talk with, or you need to just unload your heart, you need to bring confession, Um, you could text that out to that number. You could call that number. You'll receive prayer. If you're just burdened by your sin, uh, the first place to go always is to your high priest, Jesus. And when you bow before him and you confess and you go directly to the Father and understand that Jesus is making intercession for you and praying for you, 
uh, you need to get this thing cleaned up, right? Uh, you don't want to just say, I'm sorry, and then go out and repeat it again, because that means you are in bondage, all right? To keep on repeating over and over and over again, you are in bondage. And what you want is the bondage to be broken. And that's what we all desire. So David's crying out, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Folks, I can't tell you how many years I spent praying that prayer to God, working out my salvation, asking God to go deep in my nature and to bring cleansing to my heart. Well, let's look at it just a little bit. The word wash there, and I love this word, is the kibos, and it literally means, watch this now. This is to wash by treading, by treading, okay, uh, to perform the work of a fuller. And the work of a fuller was one of the nastiest jobs ever, as I understand it. Uh, maybe we'll get some background on that. Uh, you've heard of the fuller soap, right, <clears throat> the fuller soap. And, to, and, and that work of a fuller and the labor that went into doing that was not easy. So here it's talking about at the root of the word, kabas, it means to trample. So when David is asking God to wash him, he's asking for the Lord to trample, to tread, okay? And it literally means by stamping with the feet, you know, like you're crushing grapes, stamping with the feet. Um, <clears throat> so he's talking about an intense washing here, the kibas, the kibas. I wanted to get a little bit more on the fuller here. Let me see if I could find it, and I don't think so. Um, the fuller. So here it's not an e a light thing he's asking for. Wash me, tread me, okay? His iniquity is what he's talking about. So wash, tread like a fuller thoroughly, the rabbah, thoroughly, to become, okay? That word there is to increase, um, to uh, enlarge, it means to excel. In other words, do it big. Wash me big. Tread upon my iniquity big. And what is the word iniquity there? So wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. All right? That's the avon. This is a different word. The transgression was revolt and rebel. This is the iniquity, which means perversity, depravity guilt. All right. So David's sin was so perverse. It was so depraved coming out of his human nature. And by the way, every human being on this earth has depravity and perverseness in their nature. That's part of being a fallen human being. And so the work of God is to eradicate this depravity and this perversion from the soul, from the mind. This is the work that only Jesus Christ can do, okay? This is where you and I are born again in a new nature that we don't have to live out of a depraved, perverse human nature. Now, it's also the thing that is the guilt. And a lot of Christians today are holding on to guilt. A lot of Christians today are walking in guilt. And that guilt is not of what they're doing. It's literally coming out of, some area of their past that has been perverse or depraved. And so here is David saying, God, get this guilt out of my mind, this depravity, this, this perversion in my soul. 
and he's saying, wash it, tread it down, go after it, God, big, and just enlarge your, your, your work and go out there and just eradicate this thing out of my soul, right? So he's really going after it. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, the word cleanse here is the taher, and, it, and I like this. It means to be bright, to be pure, sound, clear, unadulterated, Levitically uncontaminated, morally innocent or holy. Wow, to cleanse, to purge, to purify. So after the treading, wash me, tread on me, eradicate, abolish, really go to work big time, tread, 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 and then cleanse me is like the after wash. You know, you're scrubbing something, you're scrubbing it, and then you bring the cleansing waters to get all of it off, and all of a sudden it's nice and clean. So David's saying, not only thoroughly eradicate from me and deal with this iniquity in my soul, but now cleanse me. Cleanse me. Let the living waters come now and just cleanse me, right, from my what? So this is the purifier, the cleansing from my sin. Now, the word sin here is the kata'a, which is a different word than transgression and iniquity. All right, we have the, the two, transgression, iniquity. Now we come to the word sin, which is the word kata'a, and it actually means simply an offense, sometimes habitual sinfulness, all right, and its penalty. Um, this word to cleanse me from my sin is talking about expiation, um, but the word sin literally means about offending God. All right, so we revolt from God in the transgression. We rebel against God in the transgression, all right? And then we have the avon, okay, of our iniquity, all right, which is the, um, the, the guilt, the, you know, all the negative stuff we just talked about here, and we we'll probably should want to go back there again. I just want to be clear about this. So we have the, the transgressions, and then we had, which was to revolt and rebel. Then we had the iniquity, which was the avon, which means the perversity, the depravity, uh, the, the guilt and the punishment and all of that. And then we have this word sin, and this word here simply means to offend God, to offend God. All right, so it's an offense and that offense, is all, it's also talking about uh, an occasion uh, for punishment, and it's talking about an offender. And so you put all these words together, and he's saying, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me, purify me from my habitual sin. In other words, take it away. Now that you've trampled, now take away, remove from me my offense, the offense, make expiation for me, make atonement for me. I have offended God. So David is in pure admittance here about what was going on in his life. And in verse 3, this is huge, verse 3 of Psalm 51, the warrior king says, For I acknowledge my transgressions. I acknowledge. <laughs> what does that word mean? In the Hebrew, <clears throat> Sorry, it's the yada, and he said, I know. Uh, it just means to know. 
to ascertain by seeing. I see now with, the, with my insight, with my perception, with my ability to recognize, uh, with my senses. Um, I, I get it. I get it. I see it. I acknowledge what? I, for I acknowledge my transgressions. And again, that was the first thing he talked about. The, I acknowledge my rebellion. I acknowledge the revolt. I acknowledge the fact that I have offended thee. For he says, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. My sin is ever before me. And that is the word, my offense. What I have done, I have offended God. I have offended you. I get it. I see it. I saw the perversion. I saw the depravity of what I did. I, I, I know that I've offended you. I know that I've rebelled. I know I've revolted. And so I get it, God, I'm asking. And my, my sin, my offense is ever before you. I mean, I, it's, I, it's constantly there. So I'm asking you to do something about it. And then in verse 4, David goes even deeper. And this is super important for all of us to get. Against you, you only have I sinned. Against you, you only have I sinned. Well, I thought he sinned against Bathsheba. I thought he sinned against Bathsheba's husband. I thought he sinned against Israel. No. Against you only have I sinned. Have I sinned and done this evil in your sight? In other words, David's going, God, you saw this whole thing. And I'm admitting, I'm acknowledging, I'm recognizing, I'm seeing that I've sinned only against you. I did this against you. And the backdrop for that is when you go back and read this whole story, when Nathan went to David, remember? And Nathan says to him, you know, God gave you everything. He gave you everything a man could ever want. If you wanted anything more, he would have given you that. But you had to take this one little guy's one little wife. You had to do that. It was such an offense, right? So David cries out again. It was only against you. Do you know that your sin, my sin, when we have sinned, was only against God? You may think, well, I, I, I did it against them. And to a degree, we do have to ask people to forgive us for what we've done. But do you know that ultimately that God is viewing everything we do? Look what he says. And I've done this evil in your sight. God is not unaware. Now, the word evil there, by the word, is the rod. It means a <clears throat> malignant, evil, bad, displeasing Uh, misery. I mean, it just talks about so much bad stuff. I did this really bad thing in your sight. God is always watching us. It's a fact. And everything we do is being recorded in the books. That's why on the day of judgment, the books are open. The books are open. And every man's deeds, remember he said that Every word that we speak, we will be held accountable for. That's what he said. Every word. And he says, I know the thoughts of your heart. He knows our thoughts. He knows our words. He sees our actions. He knows what we do. I mean, he's better than Santa Claus. 
He knows when you are sleeping, right? He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So this is not Santa Claus. This is Jesus. This is God. He knows everything about us. And David knew that. David just knew that God was not some absent father, that he wasn't some faraway God snoozing and snoring, you know, disconnected from the creation. Um, No, that all things are open and naked, according to the book of Hebrews. All things are open and naked before him whom we have to do. His eyes are wide open. He knows every hair on our head. Are you kidding me? He knows the names of the stars. He knows and sees everything. But to have every deed recorded in a book and to come before the throne of God and know that those deeds have not been forgiven or eradicated, they haven't been erased through the blood of the Lamb, do you realize what terror will hit the soul when the deeds are there and they've never been confessed, they've never been repented of? The good news for you and I is that every sin we've ever committed can be washed away and the book can be as white as this sheet of paper right here. I mean, nothing on it. No negative thing to say. Come on. That's where, that's, this is for you and I. This is where we belong. No judgment against us because we have fled to the Messiah. We have fled to the cross. We have confessed our sin. We have repented of our sin. We don't do the things that offend God, right? This is the awesome reality about being born again and being a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, David doesn't just say against you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. It's because you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. David said, you know what? Whatever you do right now, you're justified in doing it. You, God, are justified in your righteous judgment for what I have done. This is what I deserve. And it's very clear. So in this tone, you might be justified, literally means the sadak, and it means you're, you're righteous in making your decision. You're right. You're right. You have every right. And David's praying this out, and he's declaring himself guilty. And he, and he said, when you judge, it's going to be very clear. Very clear, very pure, very bright. It's going to be right there, okay? And then everything kind of shifts in this prayer. This is very interesting. Now David kind of starts a plea bargain. (laughs) It's kind of a plea bargain before the throne of God's mercy, right? The throne of God's power and strength, his judicial throne. And David says, behold, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Wow. It's it's almost like he's going, you know, I know what I've done. I rebelled. I revolted. I was depraved. I was perverse. I offended you. I know I did that. You have every right to judge me. But kind of remember the fact that I was born in iniquity. What was he saying? Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. Well, that word shapen there is cool, right? And it means to, uh, it's, a very, it's a very interesting word, uh, to twist or whirl or, you know, created in the womb, if you will. I was shaped in the womb. And then he says, I was shapen in iniquity. I was shapen with the avon. I was shapen in perversity, in depravity, in iniquity, in guilt, uh, you know, in all of this. That's how I was made. 
And in sin, again, this is in the offense, did my mother conceive me? In sin, did my mother conceive me? It's a little bit different word for sin here. This is the kate, uh, and it just, just means crime, a crime, uh, a punishment, an offense, a fault. So in other words, the way that I was conceived in my mother's womb, and it almost sounds like he's saying, listen, Father God, we've all heard it. We were all born in sin. I was born with faults. I was born with a sin nature. But he's, he's not excusing himself. He's just kind of plea bargaining with God right now. And yet he doesn't remove himself from the reality that he just spoke. He's actually just kind of, gosh, you know, I'm a mess. I was born in this kind of reality here. And he goes into verse 6 and says, behold, or, uh, yeah, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. So, okay, my creator, whom I have offended, whom I have sinned against and all of these things, even though I was born in iniquity and born in sin and all of that, I know that you desire truth in the inward parts. Now, that word truth should be pretty easy as the MF, and it means stability, okay? Certainty, faithful, right, sure. So you desire stability, what is right, without wavering. Okay, so he starts to waver from the idea of what he's done, and now he's going, well, I was born like this, but then he comes up with, yeah, but you desire absolute truth in the inward parts. You want the stability in the inward parts. And the inward parts is referring to what? The tuka. It's the inner regions, the sense of overlaying in the plural. It talks about the kidneys, the inmost thoughts. Ah, the inmost thoughts, the kidneys, the, the deepest part, the deepest seat of our emotion, right? So he wants stability down deep inside of us. In the most inward thoughts of our soul, he doesn't want us lying to ourselves. He doesn't want us lying to him. It was true that we were born in sin because of Adam. There's no doubt that was accurate. But David is saying, but my sin was a revolt. My sin was a rebellion. What I did was perverse. What I did... Really, there's no excuse for it, even though I was born with that, but I still had your law, and I still knew what was wrong, and I was very much aware of what I was doing, and when I did it, I came under this delusion, but you want me to be real on the inside. You want me to be full of truth, okay? This is what he's saying. You desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. All right, so in that hidden part, in that deep part, the wisdom is the kakma, and it means skill. It means just wisdom. I mean, what a great word. Um, skill and shrewd, um, ethical, you know, wisdom, what's acceptable. So David is saying, and, and I, you know, I was looking at the snow today. And I was considering the altar of our lives, our hearts. And I want you to think about your heart for just a moment, okay? And 
when that snow was coming down, it's a pure whiteout where we are. I mean, it's so white, it's covered with the snow, and which is kind of bringing us into this conversation today. I was thinking about the heart. When the heart is bright, when it's clear, when it's brilliant, when it's shining, when it's just pure, okay, like the whiter than snow thing, and as compared to a heart that has been damaged, it's blackened, it's tissued, it's bleeding, it's it's dark, and there's this difference of what sin does to the heart, and yet what the mercy of God does to the heart. Sin has ruined and wrecked the heart, but the mercy of God and the power of Christ makes the heart alive so that there's a purity, there's a stability, there's a foundation, there's a strength, there's a glory, there's a light, an illumination, a brilliance to the heart. So it's free and clean and right, and there's no spot in it. This is deep. This is what God, is. his blood can do. Let's go on back to David for just a moment. Here's what David's going to ask God to do in all of his, his thought. He says in verse 7, purge me. <laughs> purge me. Earlier he's saying what? He's saying, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Tread. Here he's using the word purge. Purge me with hyssop. And the word purge there is to expiate, lead to repentance, cleanse. He talks about make a sin offering. And, you know, he's, he's speaking into the future. And he's, the, the word I love the most here is to make reconciliation. He wants reconciliation with God. Let me tell you something about the man after God's own heart. Yes, David sinned, and what his sin did was took him away from his God. It took him away from his creator, and now he's asking for God to provide a sacrifice. He's asking God to do something to reconcile him back to him. He's already come to the awareness of his condition, and it was true. He came to a true awareness of his true condition, much like the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 7, where he said, Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man. That word wretched means rotten to the core, because Paul had come to a place beyond his religion, to a place of relationship. And when he saw himself from God's perspective, not allowing his religion to cover up his reality, all of a sudden, Paul's reaching out to God, and he's saying, uh, oh, wretched man, oh, rotten to the core. He understood his true condition. Job also, in Job chapter 42, I've heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now I see you, and I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Whoa. Now, I've heard about God's holiness, but now I see it, and I despise myself. He saw himself. And this is always good when God is able to bring a man or a woman to a place of recognizing the reality and not covering it up with their niceties and personalities and religion and philosophy and feel good. I mean, when we really see the reality of our fallen human nature, the condition of our 
sin-sick hearts, that's where God can begin to do his greatest work. David knew this. Purge me. God, make a sacrifice for me. God, make an expiation for my sin. Reconcile me. What is it going to take? And the Bible says in the book of Corinthians, Paul the Apostle writing, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. The whole purpose of Jesus Christ is to reconcile you and I and all creation back to God in an act of reconciliation, which was the purging, which was the sacrificial lamb of God. What Jesus Christ did on the cross is to reconcile us back to the Father. He is the expiation. He is the sacrifice. He is the offering. And so David, not having that available to him, but looking to the future, looking to the future, looking to Christ. David was very prophetic. He knew. He knew. The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thy enemies a foot. So David knew prophetically Yeshua, Messiah, would come. And he knew office would be and what his work would accomplish. David knew. So again, I love this. Purge me with hyssop. And here's that hyssop again. And I hope they give us a really cool definition here. Um, and it just talks about uh, hyssop is a plant that was used for medicinal purposes. Uh, the herb of purging qualities, uh, it talks about a wild marjoram, okay, hyssop a little plant, um, a bunch of hyssop for sprinkling blood on doorposts. It was used in cleansing from leprosy. Now, let's get back to this part of the definition. A, a bunch of hyssop for sprinkling blood on doorposts. When did that happen? That's in the Exodus, right? When the children of Israel were about to go on and put blood on the doorposts, they took hyssop and put the blood on the doorpost. So here we're talking about an atoning sacrifice. Um, again, cleansing from leprosy. So the prayer, again, purge me with hyssop, with the blood. See, with the blood. He's going deep into this. And I shall be clean. Purge me with hyssop. Purge me with this sacrifice. And I shall be clean. The Tahir again. I shall be bright. I shall be pure. I shall be sound and clear. I shall be unadulterated. Do you know people that are walking in darkness, you can see when it's on them, their, 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 their countenance has kind of fallen. They're under the weight and the burden of their transgression, their sin. They're under the, they know they've offended God. There's a, a deep-seated guilt. There's a shame. And they carry this in their tabernacle. And God, and, and David's saying, Lord, if you do this work, if you'll do this work, I shall be clean. I will be bright again. My countenance shall shine again. And this is exactly how God wants you and I to be in our lives, clean. And then he says, not just purge me with your hyssop and I shall be clean, but wash me. There's that word wash again, right? 
and I shall be whiter than snow. Oh, there's that kibosh again. Tread on my sin. Trample it down. Wash me, right? And I shall be whiter than snow. What does that whiter mean? Laban. I love this. To be white. To make white. To become white. Purify. To show whiteness. Grow white. To become white. Be purified. Now, if you're thinking external, then you're just being foolish because it has nothing to do with the skin of one somebody's skin color. This is about being pure on the inside of one's soul. And he's saying, I will be whiter than snow. And you know what snow is, the shaleg. And it just means probably from its whiteness. So David probably was at a time in his life where he was watching snow and he was wishing to God that his heart would be so clean, whiter than the snow that he saw. How do we get white? By the sacrifice, by the offering, by the expiation of Jesus Christ. See, if you or I today are still carrying guilt, shame, or condemnation, it just shows that we have not received the fullness of the atonement that has been made. The the, the reality is there is no other atonement coming. There is no other sacrifice coming. There is no future sacrifice coming. You're not going to say, well, I can only get so much, but later on I'm going to get more. No, what you get is what you receive right now because everything that you need to walk in the liberty and the freedom that this man who committed adultery and murdered a man, I don't know if you've done that or not, but whatever the sin is, it's all been paid for. Everything David is asking for that was not available is now available through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not just a a, a one-way ticket to heaven, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Jesus Christ wants to do a lot more. The Father wants to do a lot more than just get us to heaven. He wants to bring us into his image and likeness. And that cannot happen if we are carrying around guilt, shame, and condemnation, if we are darkened by sin, if we are heavy and our countenance has fallen. Remember the first murder when Cain murdered Abel, his countenance had fallen. God's talking about, hey, what's going on with you? Look at your countenance, it's fallen. Everything that David's praying for is now available to you, became available 2,000 years ago. And only by your faith, And by my faith, can we receive this atonement that can make us pure? You see, it it is done. The blood, once applied, is done. Your conscious, my conscious, has to keep up with that reality, has to catch up to that truth that Jesus Christ has done it. I am forgiven. I am washed. I am cleansed. The, The treading, you want to get into treading, what greater treading than Jesus Christ on the whipping post. I mean, there is your sacrifice right there at the whipping post, 39 times with razor blades, ripping his flesh from his skin, blood everywhere, ripping him apart, pulling his beard out of his face, 
chunks of skin. I mean, you talk about treading. Thorns in his head, punched in the face, spit on, ripped. That's not life. That's the price for our freedom. That was the price for our liberty. That was the price to eradicate, I'm sorry for yelling, to eradicate the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, the offense, the reproach, the rebellion, the revolt. That is what the price was. And it has been paid in full. It'll never be paid again. There's never going to be another sacrifice again. There will never be another atonement. So what are we waiting for? Faith to receive the atonement upon our hearts to know that we are pure before God. In Acts chapter 15, verse 9, I believe it is, that their hearts were purified by faith in the finished work of Jesus. All this religion, all these rules, all these regulations, all these, you know, sideline, guideline, got to walk on this way. All of that means nothing. It may help to bring us to Christ. But man, when we come to Christ, there's liberty. There is freedom. It's not about religious rules and regulations. Read the New Testament. Very few, if any, rules and regulations. But there's instructions, and it's all geared towards receiving the atonement that sets a man free, sets a woman free. So David is saying, I'll be whiter than snow. And why? Why? Why, 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 why? Here's what David's saying. Verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. See, there was a time in this young shepherd's life that he used to sing all the time to the Lord. David was a worshiper before he was a warrior. And he was a worshiper out in the fields, and the song of the Lord was in his heart. The song of the Lord was there. And David worshiped, and he sang to the Lord. And in his song and in his worship, he found great joy and gladness. And his sin, his broken bones, his sin took it away. What was he looking for? First of all, make me to hear. That is the shama, and that word means to hear intelligently, okay, with, uh, often implica- implied with the attention of obedience, so he's calling back to his obedience to the, to the word of the Lord. Help me to hear. Help me to discern. Help me to be attentive. Uh, grant this request. Help me to understand. There's so much definition of that word. Help me to hear, all right, or make me to hear joy. And that word joy is the sanon or the sason. And it means, i got to love this, gladness, joy, exultation, rejoicing cheerfulness, welcome. It's like God saying, welcome into my kingdom. Welcome into my reality. Welcome. You know, this sin-sick world that looks like it's so fun, when we get into where God is, the joy of his presence, the rejoicing, the mirth, the gladness, the cheerfulness. I love that word cheerfulness. 
And in all this stuff that's going on, man, there's always a place in God, regardless of end time events and the end of the world, to find the cheer of the Lord, to find the joy of the Lord. That's waiting for you. That's there for you. Hallelujah. Woo! You may as well cheer them on. The cheer of the Lord. Help me to hear it. Help me to find this cheer of the Lord, this gladness, this rejoicing. And watch this. Not only make me to hear joy and gladness, and gladness, which the simcha, a little bit different word, this word simcha means, you got to love it, blithesome or glee. And I love this word. Happy. Happy. Make me to hear the happiness of God. Make me to hear the glee. Hey, make me to hear the joy. Lord God, give me a ten of ears. Let me hear in my heart again. Let my heart hear the sound of joy and gladness. Mirth and pleasure exceedingly. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. David's bones were broke. The word bones there is the etsem, and it's just talking about his essence, Oof. his substance, a bone, his body, but it literally refers to the substance, the self. What happened to David? God broke his substance, his strength, his essence, his being. God broke it. What does it mean to break it? That the bones which thou hast broken, that word broken is the daka. It means you have crushed in order to make me contrite. Mm. To collapse. To collapse is the primitive root. And it means to make one contrite. You broke me. You have crushed me. You have zapped my strength, my substance, my essence of all that I am. And you crushed it. You caused me to collapse under the weight of my own sin. So that I would be humble that I would be contrite, and then he says that I may once again rejoice. And that is the gil. It's different than joy. It's different than gladness. It's the gil, and this one seems simply means, again, to spin around under the influence of any violent emotion. It means to rejoice, to be glad, to be joyful. So David, the dancer, David, the worshiper, and I want you to know something right now. There are two prophetic acts that God is sending from heaven right now for you and I to get in on. This kind of thing about going to church, sitting down like the frozen chosen has got to end. And you need to start it in your own living room, wherever you are right now. You need to know that God is saying, Two prophetic acts are going to break the yoke. And the number one, woo, start clapping. The clapping. Uh, the scripture is, uh, clap to the Lord. All ye people, shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. Clapping and dancing. 
When we were in Florida, God gave the revelation that Sarasota meant the dance, the place of the dance, the radiant dance. And we were out on the beach dancing in the midst of pagans everywhere. We're dancing. It's a prophetic act. And this word here, let me rejoice. Let me spin around under the influence of any violent emotion. And the Hebrew men, they knew how to dance. They'd put their hands together, you know, that look. And they'd go around in circles and spin around. And that's just such a joyful thing. David asking for his life back. Sometimes pride gets in the way of this. We're too, hey, man, I don't, I, I don't raise my hands in church. I don't clap my hand. You know, I, I just can't do that. Uh, spinning around under the influence, rejoicing, you know, the happy moment of releasing, getting free, dancing. God loves when we dance unto the Lord. He loves it. I'm telling you, you start clapping your hands. And you start applauding your king. You start thanking him. Strongholds will come down. Chains will be broken. That anointing of you just praising him will sever chains. You clap for your family. You clap for your friends. You clap for your church. You clap for that job. You clap for that healing. You clap for that relationship. You clap for it, and then you begin to dance. Things will change. I'm not making it up. Holy Spirit is bringing these two realities, these two prophetic, worshipful realities to, he's bringing, he's saying, this is what I want you to do. And there's a lot more singing. Woo, sing to the Lord, right? Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. Spin around, dance, dance, sing, shout, Dance, sing, shout, clap. Dance, sing, shout, clap. Dance, sing, shout, clap. You start doing that. Shout to the Lord. Clap that the expiation is made. You are forgiven. You are washed. You are justified. You are sanctified. You are clean. Run into the open fields. Spin around. Jump for joy. Start getting activated. David did. He was begging for it. The worst thing that could happen in your life is you stay like this the rest of your life. It's the worst thing that can You will dry up and become like a dried raisin or a prune. No. Let the river flow. Let the anointing flow. You're driving that truck right now. Start praising God. Shout to the Lord. Clap your hands for a moment, then get your hands back on the wheel. Right now, you can't spin around, but on your way from the uh, truck to the to the restaurant, do a little spin. Whoop! Just do a little. Whoop! Just do it. Spin around. Do something. Shout to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Clap and dance to the Lord. This will break yokes. I'm telling you, it's a prophetic act. Any curses on you, boom, they're gone. The devil trying to get you dried up. No, that'll break. You'll begin to thrive on the vine. You'll begin to flourish on the vine. You'll begin to feel fruit and happiness and joy. Come on. Now, David doesn't stop there. David doesn't stop there. He's asking God to do some incredible stuff here. I want joy back. I want gladness back. I want rejoicing back. I want my substance back. I want to get back to who I was. I want to dance again, shout again, clap again, sing again. I want to get back. It's hard to do when you're in sin. You know why most churches, 
Praise and worship, the people just can't do it because they're bound in sin. They're stuck in iniquity, whether it's pride or any other sin. You can't be watching pornography and then go to church and woo! You can't do it unless you're the greatest pretender on the face of the earth. Verse 9. Here's a biggie. Here's a big one. You ready? Hide your face from my sins. Oh, God, you could hear him say, I am so ashamed of what I have done. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Blot out, erase, eradicate all my perversion, all my depravity, all the garbage that I have done, the stain of my shame. I may not be doing it now, but I did it before, and it's always there. God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, eradicate, blot out, hide your face from the sins I've done. And the New Testament says, better than hiding I've absolutely forgiven it, released it. I've buried it in the depths of the sea as far as the north is from the south. So I've taken away your sins. It's gone. It was in the blood of my son. It was in the blood of my son. And David's crying out, hide your face. What does that word hide mean? To conceal, cover it, keep close, secret. But it's better in the new covenant. David just didn't want it out. He wanted God to hide. Don't see it, God. It's so nasty. Oh, don't see what I did, God. Hide yourself from what I did, God. I mean, he's almost telling God, you're going to hate this. What I did was so bad. Dear God, I had a man murdered. Dear God, I committed adultery. Dear God, I got into so much darkness. Oh, you don't want to see it, God. Hide yourself from what I did. I'm so ashamed of it. And then he says, and blot out all my iniquities, same word, perversion, depravity, and 51.10. Here it is. You ready? Create my creator. Oh, my creator. The one who created me out of liquid semen that went into my mother's womb and made contact with her ovaries and my little sperm beat them all, hundreds of millions of other ones swimming for the, the, the victory. I made it. And this is all because of your creative power. And now he's saying, create again, my creator. Create again, my creator. What? Create in me a clean heart. Well, that word create is the bara. And it means to shape. Remember, he said, in my mother's womb, I was shapen in iniquity. When you're born again, what did Paul say? Come on, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man or woman be in Christ Jesus, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So what David's praying for for God to shape or for God to create is a new heart or a clean heart. Create in me. There's that word clean again, fatahor, and it's literally talking about that pure, watch this, talks about a chemical. Isn't that interesting? This tahor created me a clean, 
pure physical, chemical, ceremonial, or moral sense, pureness, a separateness, a purity, clear, unmixed, unalloyed. That's the the chemical part. Do you know that a lot of your brain is chemical? And you know that there are wires in there. They're called neurotransmitters. And you know that when you use drugs where you have alcohol, that they mess with the chemistry of your brain. And a lot of people struggle through their whole lives who have ever used drugs, especially drugs like crystal methamphetamine, cocaine, whatever chemical drugs. I used to know someone that said that heroin was the best kind of drug because it was more uh, natural, synthetic. It was uh, it wasn't it it was more organic. So use heroin. But drugs are not good, period. But when you mess around with marijuana, THC, it does something to your brain cells. It's known to kill your brain cells. And then it is also uh, the chemicals of crystal methamphetamine, smoking or freebasing crack, cocaine, uh, taking cocaine, uh, some of these other drugs that are out there today, um, purple microdot, uh, acid. You know, these things really mess with the chemistry of your brain. So he's asking for in every area so that he would be unmixed in his mind, unalloyed, right, clear of all filth. Morally, created me a clean and unmixed and unadulterated heart. And that word heart there is important. It's the lab or the levy, right? And it means the will. Listen to what your heart is in the Hebrew. Your will, your feelings, we would call that emotions, your intellect. So the heart is the will, the feelings, the emotions, the intellect. Likewise, for the center, it's talking about your center, all right, where courage, it talks about uh, don't be double-minded, double-hearted, powerful. It talks about your character, your memory. Your thinking, your reflection, your memory, your ability to understand things. He's asking for the heart that has been afflicted through sin, that it would be made clean, pure in all areas. And again, he cries out, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So create and renew. The word renew is the kadosh, and it means to repair. God can repair your neurotransmitters. God can repair the chemistry of your brain, the areas of your brain that have been assaulted. Do you know not only drugs eat away at your brain, but scientific fact is out that pornography eats away at your brain. It literally damages because the endorphins and all the stuff that is excited, these cytotoxins or whatever they are, when pornography and that image is there and it's being watched and viewed, it's doing, it's like so high, like cocaine will get you so high, crystal will get you so high, but it does damage to the brain. It does damage. It's killing your brain. David was excitotoxined by the woman he saw and he did it and the actions and the energy and the flow and the, all the stuff that was going on, but it was killing him. So this word renew literally means to repair, repair, 
rebuild. Rebuild, God, my inner man. Renew a right spirit. A, a right spirit is that word that comes from the word rosh, uh, kun, which actually means to, let's look at it, to be erect, to set up, to establish, okay? So to fashion it, a right what? A right what? Renew in me a right spirit. A right spirit. Now the word spirit is the ruach. That's where we get the phrase, the ruach ha-kodesh, the Holy Spirit. Ruach, spirit, kodesh, holy, spirit. So repair my spirit, a right spirit, the wind or the breath, okay? The sensible, the exaltation or the exhalation, exhaling breath, the life. Renew my life. Renew my, it talks about the region of the sky, the mind, the spirit, the rational being. Again, it gets down to courage. Make me have courage again, dear God. Sin zaps people of courage and they become cowards and fearful. That's what sin does. So he's talking about, Lord, bring me into a condition of a right spirit in me. Sin has damaged me in my mother's womb and in my own actions. And I'm asking you to create in me a clean heart and to renew in me a right spirit. Make me right again. Fix me. Repair me. Rebuild me. And do you know that God does that in our lives? How many people do we know that were hardcore sinners that have been born again and have been built into by the spirit of the living God and the word of God? And genuine, uh, the fivefold ministry is to, is to, Build up the body of Christ, educate, care for, bring up, nurture into Christ, right? So there are so many lives that are under construction. You know, we're not there yet, perhaps, but it's done. God sees the finished work in all of us. But I like it when we say we're under construction still. Don't get too miffed at me. Don't get too bent out of shape over me. I'm still under construction, but I'm under the construction of the Holy Spirit. I'm under the construction of the Word of God. I'm under construction of the ministers that are in my life, speaking into my life, building into my life. You know, God's doing a work, so don't get too angry or upset if I don't measure up to your standards immediately. I'm still under construction. I've been a really damaged person. I've been very broken. I've been very wounded, very hurt, very, I've I've offended God. I'm working out a lot of stuff here, so please be a little bit more patient. Don't run the first moment you don't like something about me, please. Be patient. I'm under construction. And that's exactly what this is saying. I'm under construction. And so David in verse 11 says what? Cast me not away from thy presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. The one thing that David required of the Lord in all of this, it wasn't just for himself. He knew that his sin removed him from the presence of God. He knew that his sin separated him. And so he's praying now in verse 11, Psalm 51, cast me not away. In the Hebrew, that's the shalak, and it simply means to throw me out. Don't throw me out, God. Don't throw me away. 
don't hurl me or cast me into hell. Beseech him, God, don't throw me out. Don't cast me away from your presence. And I'm telling you, everything about our walk with the Lord is presence. Everything is about presence. And if we're doing something that creates a a gap in the presence, then stop doing it. That's the only advice I know, right? I mean, if you're in the presence of God, I've known these seasons in our lives, right, when we're, we're so walking with God in the cool of the day, it's amazing. And then all of a sudden it's not there and you got to sit back and go, what did I do to get out of his presence? People are that sensitive. Uh, they want that presence. And so they're diligent to find out what I've done to get out, get out of the presence of God. So his presence means his face. His face. The face. Wow. His countenance. His person. I don't want to be hid from you, God. I don't want to live my life without your face in my face. I want you in my face. I want to be in your face. Can you imagine the face of God, how beautiful the face of God is? I want to be in your face. I want you to watch me. I want you to see me. I want to, I want to live before you. I want to see your joy, your happiness, your love, because that's all God is. God is not a morbid God. Everything David was praying for joy and happiness spinning around. You don't think God whirls in eternity? You don't think that God's face is so brilliant that you can't look on it because you can't see that much joy and happiness in one moment. You'll be crushed. That's why we're getting new bodies so we can. In the resurrection and the translation, we all get brand new bodies so that we can handle his presence. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. That's very clear. Just, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You're a born-again believer. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We cry out, don't take it. Let's move on just a little bit more. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Wow. Restore the joy. The word restore again is the shub. We've seen that before. It means to turn back. It means to refresh. The idea of returning to the starting point, and I could just see David go, man, at the beginning when I was a little shepherd boy, I had no reputation. I was no king. I was just a lover of Yahweh or Yahuwah. I was a lover of Jehovah. And I worshipped him, and it was so right, and it was so simple, and it was so beautiful. But I became a king. And then being the king, after having the kingdom and all that God has promised to me, I sinned against God. And I've seen what it's done. I want to go back to the beginning. The book of Revelation in chapter 2, it talks about the church of Ephesus. Return to your first love, or I'll remove your candlestick. Come back to your first love. Go back to the beginning of that relationship that you had with God, full of faith, full of joy. And this is what David is praying for. Restore what? The joy. We've already talked about what the joy is, but the joy of what? Of your salvation. And you know what the word salvation is there? Yasha. Yashua. Yasha. 
Yashi. These words are all referring to salvation. It means deliverance, rescue, safety, welfare, victory, prosperity, the joy of your liberty, the joy of deliverance, the joy of your prosperity, the joy of your safety, the joy of your salvation, your Yashi, your Yahshua. Restore it and uphold me with your free spirit. Uphold me? In other words, samak, support, prop me up, let me lean on you, bear me up with thy free spirit. That word free is the nadib, and that word free, this is awesome, your generous magnanimous, grande, liberal, noble, willing. God, this is who you are. You're willing, noble, generous, inclined character, spirit, generous. Hold me up in your generous spirit. What a prayer, friend. What a prayer. Every bit of this prayer is answered in Christ. You have it. It's answered in Christ. We have it. And then David says, all right, God, here's my life. Here's what I've done. Here's what you've done. Do all this. Bring me back to you. Bring me back. Bring me back. Bring me back. And then, verse 13, then will I teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted unto you. Do you know that God answered that prayer so well that you're learning and I'm learning from this right now? David's life teaches us. And I believe the teaching is not to go and do what David did and then go through this process and get what God gave. David's teaching, don't go the way that I went. Follow those apostles that walked with Jesus. Not one of them failed as I failed. But if you have come into this world, which we all have, in the sin condition you have been a rebel, you've been a revolter, you've been perverse and depraved. When you come to Jesus Christ, receive all that is and live in that reality. David's life is teaching us God's ways. Then will I teach transgressors, rebels and revolters, God's direct, meaning his ways, his road, a course of life, a mode of action, a custom. I'm going to teach people how to walk, David said. I'm going to teach people. And sinners are going to be converted. Sinners. What's a sinner? A kata. People that are condemned. The word sinners there, criminals, one accounted guilty and offender. So I'm going to teach sinners. What, what are they going to do? Sinners are going to be converted unto you. 
And the word converted, again, is the shub, and it means to return back. They're going to return back. They're going to turn back to you. They're going to turn back to you. God, I'm going to bring them through my life experience. I'm going to teach them, and I'm going to show them the way of life, the course they should go, and I'm going to turn them back to you. And even if they were off track, I'm going to bring them back. There's a wide road and a narrow road. We were all on the wide road, but we've been translated to a narrow road. They're going to turn back to you. And then David in 51.14 says, deliver me from blood guiltiness. He thought by now the prayer would be over. But he's saying, deliver me, deliver me, the, not Saul, to snatch away, to rescue, to save, strip away, rescue me from what? Blood guiltiness. Hmm, the dom, the dom. Literally talking, blood as that which, when shed, causes death. And the guiltiness, the bloodshed, the drops of blood. He had a man murdered. David was not just guilty, he was blood guilty. He shed innocent blood. And he was asking for forgiveness. Have you ever shed innocent blood? Maybe a woman in her womb, a fetus that was full of life. Did you shed that blood innocently? Did you ever kill somebody? Did you ever kill innocent blood? Not the excuse of, well, I was defending myself. Did you ever kill innocent blood? David did. David had a man murdered but he was the murderer. The executioner was one thing, but David was the murderer. God never had a problem with him going to war and fighting and killing and cutting off the head of the Goliath. God never had a problem. The problem that made him guilty was the innocent blood that he killed. And what would be required to be forgiven for shedding innocent blood? Jesus, his innocent blood must have been shed to be able to forgive that sin, to make an atonement for that sin. Even those who are abortionists, people that have drank blood, eaten the hearts of babies, murdered innocent blood, sorcerers, witches, warlocks, can be forgiven. Can be forgiven. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud. I told you, dance, sing, shout, and clap. My tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. I will sing unto the Lord my God. I will shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. Verse 15, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise, thy glory. Thou desires not sacrifice, else would I give it. You delight not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. 
O God, you will not despise. That word contrition or contrite is here, and that word contrite is the dakha, and it means to be broken, to collapse. We went into that definition earlier. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. The sacrifice has been made. What God is looking from you and I is a what? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart that he will not despise. You desire not sacrifice, else I would give it. You delight not in burnt offerings. There's only one offering for sin, for all the human race, and that's Jesus Christ. And that humbles me. I see the cost. I see the price of God so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I see it. I see the price. Help me to see it more. Help me to see it more. Because that death of Jesus covers all sin. The only sin it will never cover is blasphemy. In other words, hating, calling evil what Christ has done. And the God-haters, the devil worshipers that hate God, that hate Jesus, in their books they write, hate Jesus Christ should be burning in hell. That's blasphemy. You will never have forgiveness. You will never have forgiveness for blaspheming the Holy Son of God, ever. Hating him, despising him, calling him evil who is holy. Mm -mm. You know why? Because that's a total rejection of salvation. And the world today that is rejecting this salvation, eternally doomed after the wars, after the famines, after the pestilence, after population control, after all the Khazarian mafia schemes and mystery Babylon schemes and tricks, eternal damnation upon the soul that is called Christ evil blasphemy. Our salvation is so rich and so valuable. We are considered the most fortunate people on the face of the earth. That somehow we have come to this sacrifice and this sacrifice has come to us. And everything that David was asking for in his prayer about joy, gladness, singing, dancing, all that is yours and mine. Christ has done. All he's asking is broken and contrite. That only spells humble. Walk humbly before our God. With joy, with song, with dance, excited about the Lord, but that reality, this is only because of you, God, that I have life. I do not lean on my own sustenance, my own abilities, my own logic, my own reason, my own intuition. I don't lean on any of it. God, my life is standing 
I am propped up. I am held together by you. Your breath, your love, your kindness, your spirit. It's the only thing that holds me together is your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your Holy Spirit that you gave to me to live in me and be with me forever. And the me that you're creating to be like you, it's all you. It's all you. And then David's final prayer in verse 18, do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. What comes into David's mind? The purpose of his calling as a king was for the sake of Jerusalem. It wasn't so he can go out there and do the things that he did. David was a king for the well-being of Jerusalem and Zion. But he got into selfishness, personal ambition. And he's now remembering. Oh, he's remembering. Oh, yeah, I now remember why I'm a pastor. Oh, yeah. I remember why I'm an apostle and a prophet and evangelist and a teacher and a deacon and a car, uh, a bishop. Oh, yeah, I now remember. I get it. It wasn't for me. It was for the church. It was for the people of God that I've been called and gifted and anointed. That's right. It wasn't about me. God, remember the church. Remember. Oh, yes. Then, verse 19, shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. And what are the sacrifices of righteousness? With burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then shall they offer bullocks upon your altar. But there's a better covenant in the book of Hebrews. It says the the true offerings of God, the sacrifices of God, are the sacrifices of thanksgiving. Let me find it. Oh, sacrifice unto the Lord, the sacrifices of thanksgiving. Give thanks unto the Lord, right? That's what he says, I believe. It's in verse 13. By him, therefore, okay, okay, by him, verse 15, Hebrews 13, 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name or to his nature. Giving thanks. That's our, that's our offering. That's it. That's our offering to God. Wow. So, this is the prayer of David. This is the prayer of David to the people of God. This is the prayer that we pray. And you say, okay, well, it's Friday, and why are we talking about this? We got all this stuff. Folks, this is the center of life. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the seed of David is Yahshua. But such a higher order of nature. Everything David was praying for, he craved for, is what you and I are to become. In spite of what's going on in the world. It's about an internal relationship with the presence of God. It is intrinsic, and it has to be real. If God is real, then that realness has to be in there. 
And if there were not, if we're not connecting, then we got to find out why aren't we connecting? What's wrong with the spark plugs here? Why isn't there? Why isn't there a spark plug? Why isn't there a release? And I'm telling you, start clapping. Lord, what you did is so wonderful. Just start clapping, start singing, start shouting, and start dancing before the Lord. Oh, you may run out of breath. You may get tired. You may go, I haven't done that for years. Do it. So what? Do it. This is our worship as believers. And I'm telling you, the more you do that, the chains will break, the anointing will flow, the river of life, the crystal clear river will clear away the spots, wrinkles, and blemishes. Just do that. Is that such a hard way to live? Clap to the Lord, all you people. Shout to the Lord, the voice of triumph. Clap to what? Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. You can do that. Clap and shout. Hallelujah. Right? Dance before the Lord. Spin around under a violent emotion of victory. Right? And sing. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Singing, making melody in your hearts unto the Lord. Singing, shouting, Clapping and dancing. Is that so hard? And you start the first day, maybe for a minute. Do it again during the day. Do it again. And before you know it, there'll be purpose behind it. I'm clapping. Why? Because the Lord is doing all things. I'm clapping him in advance of what he's doing. I'm singing to the Lord from my heart. I'm shouting. Hallelujah to the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just dancing. And it doesn't have to be spinning around in violent emotion only. I mean, you could have a romantic dance with the Lord too. This is our message today. This is how we're going out on this Friday. We'll see what the days ahead have to say. I've got some calls coming in. I think I'm going to take them. Say hello to everybody. And we'll get to the chat room in just a little bit. So let me take a phone call coming in from area code 479855. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Well, good morning, Pastor. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing very good, Pastor Ken Wagner. What's going on, sir? Well, you know, I was listening to all the things you said, and they're excellent words, and they're really admonitions for all of us to follow. But, you know, there's an old adage out there that I've heard many times, and you probably have too on here, and it basically goes along this way. You have not because you ask not. And what I was sensing is that a lot of people are listening to the words you're saying. They're all truth, and they're all biblical, biblically based on there. And people hear it and say, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good, and they don't go any further. That's where the problems come in. They don't go back and ask for forgiveness for what they have done. I mean, you mentioned David on here, and that's just exactly what David had a high price he had to pay because he tried to hide his sin. And as you said before, Nathan the prophet came forth and gave him a word. And the price he paid uh, was very dear in in the sense of that he lost his firstborn son that was being born to Bathsheba at that time. That's a high price to pay. It's also a very high price to pay if you're no longer in the will of God. And these are the things that we have to really begin to think about on here. So, you know, instead of people just getting off the radio this morning and saying, that was a good word, what they need to do, all of us need to do, is to sit back and repent. 
and begin to realize the things that we have done and never ask for forgiveness for. Because if we don't do that, we have some real problems. Uh, another component, of course, on there, too, and in the Word, it says that uh, create a clean heart in me, O Lord. And how do you do that? Just not by reading the Bible, letting the Bible activate you to repent and ask for forgiveness for what you've done. You know, last night in the scriptures on there, at the, at the deliverance meeting on there, uh, we read that, that scripture in Matthew 12, 43 to 45. And it talks about a spirit when it leaves a man. But there's now a void in our spirit if we don't fill it. And some of the, the, the comments made at the meeting were right on the money. We have to fill ourselves back up with the love of God the forgiveness that God gives to each and every one of us, and turn and go in the right direction. That's the most important thing that we need to go ahead and do. Not just hear the word, but become doers of the word as well on here. So, um, I, and, and I think about it, you know, before, um, before I became a pastor in, in your church on here, ordained by you, we had a number of talks. And some of them were pretty hard. You were blunt and to the point and mentioned things to me that were not correct in my spirit, things I had never even realized and that I had never seen. And my first reaction was my old cop mentality that I had from New York. Who the heck is this guy telling me what I need to go ahead and do You know, on here? And there was definitely rebellion in my heart when I heard it because I was hurt. But I realized also that there was a total element of truth in what you had said. And I had to go forth and take that to heart and then repent of what I had done and make the changes if within me. That's what all of us have to go ahead and do. And until we do that, you know, we're never really going to get where we need to be. So I, that, that's what I had as far as a comment this morning on what you said. You know, it's really good and I really really enjoy listening to you because it brings to heart the things that I need to go ahead and do. Well, that's amazing. And, you know, I'm, I'm chuckling over here because I'm thinking to myself, every time that God told me to speak to you, I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? Well, I'm speaking to an ex-New York City cop. He can kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy job. The thought entered my mind. <laughs> yeah, I bet it did. I bet it did. Man, you have no idea. All right. Well, Pastor Ken, that is brilliant. Yeah, getting people to do the works of God, uh, applying all of this information to our hearts and minds, and just doing what it says, this little simple uh, bit of information. And thank you, man, for calling in. We appreciate it big time. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Pastor Ken Wagner. Soon he'll be pastoring his own fellowship somewhere in this world There'll be a number of people sitting around he and Peggy's feet, and they'll be teaching the Word of God and pastoring them and shepherding them and caring for them. And the bombs may be going off over there and over there, but they will not be touching where they are. God will put his defense around the glory in the houses wherever God is going to get these home fellowships going. We certainly need home fellowships. I believe that the church is going to be meeting in homes. Uh, I'm, I'm also chuckling because I'm looking at my uh, title for today's program was Beware the Sword of Islam, and we didn't talk about that at all. But I will just say this in closing today that um, uh, they, they're not done. 
the sort of Islam is a very real issue. And uh, I'm going to leave that right there. We'll get into that another time. I want to say good morning to some friends on chat line. By the way, if you'd like to call in right now, 818-369-0326, 818-369-0326, and then press 1 on your dial pad. And uh, let me say good morning to Phil is with us today. Phil and Mary, I'm our elders. We love them so very much. God bless you. Kevin Hauger, good snowy morning to all. Listening to the snowfall is similar to listening to God. Mmm, I like that. Very good, Kevin. Uh, Melissa Flesher, Pastor Melissa, all the way from South Dakota. Good morning, church. God bless you, Pastor Melissa and Chad. And I certainly will be inviting Chad when we go to the mountains. Can't wait. Uh, Laquita, Sister Laquita. Good morning, pastors and brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, Laquita has a little bit more to say down here. We're going to get into uh, Joyce Young. Sister Joyce, God bless you and Ken. We love you both. Shalom. Cindy Messman, good morning. She's trying to escape. We're trying to hold her back, but we're going to let her go. Praise God. She's got to go do some traveling. Cindy, it'll be okay. We're going to be, God bless you. <laughs> Cindy and Mark. I see Laquita said, I pray wash me thoroughly daily. Hmm. Awesome differentiation of sins, transgressions, and iniquities. Within verse 6 of Genesis 20, God told Abimelech, I withheld thee from sinning against me. Lord, withhold me too. So, Laquita, you're saying that every day you're saying, God, cleanse me from my iniquity. My question would be, in our humble conversation, when do you accept that it's done? I mean, if, if you ask the Lord to cleanse you from iniquity, when is it done? If it's already done in Christ, should we do this every single day? Or should we come to a place of accepting that the iniquity, the depravity, the perversion, the rebellion is gone? I'd like to have that conversation. It's going to be a good one. Phil Buswell, our souls are being washed whiter than the outside snow by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Uh, I call him Pastor. Uh, Elder Phil, I call a lot of people Pastor in our church. They're all elders. It's amazing. Shirley Wolseley, all the way from Texas, thank you for the word. Cleanse my heart of all things that are not pleasing to you, Lord. Amen. Anything that's not pleasing, Dennis Sossaman, Pastor Denny, no rules and regulations, just a compliant heart and mind. Denny, you love that. Pastor Denny, he hates rules and regulations, except when we play golf. These are the rules. Gotcha. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Woo! No, he's, I'm just messing around. Pastor Denny's awesome. All right, Diane Gravely, good morning to all. The body of Christ is being, <laughs> I'm going to get it back for that. I know that, so I'm going to prepare myself already. Uh, the body of Christ is being cleansed and purged by God Almighty. Our enemy is not happy with the work the saints are doing. We shall overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Right on, Diane Gravely, you got it. We believe it. Uh, Cindy said amen to that. Hokey Dijukic, Ver Life. I don't know who Hokey is, but welcome to the broadcast. Kevin Hauger, remember, Satan is a defeated foe. Yes, he is, Kevin. It is true. Let's not give him more power than he's operating in already. Kevin says, remember to subscribe to our channel. Ring the bell. There's a little bell somewhere. Ring it to receive messaging for future streaming. We store our shows for you to watch later or receive teaching you haven't seen. Thank you, Kevin, for letting everybody know that. Good morning, Pastor Jeff Bass. He says, good morning, Pastor Vincent. In a speech today, Biden called Congress to join the EU and the Group of Seven in suspending normal trade rela relations with Russia. He said Putin is, in, is the aggressor, and he must pay the price. 
Yeah, I know that's going to get intense. Get yourself ready. Get yourself ready. Kevin Halger says, remember to subscribe. He did that again. Okay. Um, Kevin, remember, say, oh, yeah, we've been there, did that. Also, Pastor Jeff says, supposedly Biden just banned Russia from the World Bank. I will update this. By the way, Kremlin issued a statement saying Friday evening will be beautiful for the whole world. What is he talking about? I know Don Huddle mentioned that, first of all, a couple of days ago. Something beautiful about Friday night. Now it's already Friday night in the Kremlin, I think. They're ahead of us, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, they are. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Jeff Bass, Pastor Jeff said, I was awakened this morning at 3.33. Jeremiah 33.3 says, ask me, and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. I say, please speak, Lord. Amen. Pastor uh, Ken Wagner just said that we need to ask. And here is a confirmation. Ask Tammy Ivy. Yes, amen. Hello, Tammy. Trust you're doing well. You and Tim, we love you both. God bless you. God bless your hearts. Shirley Woolsey's giving a high five. TD. Let's see who TD is. Free book on jihad. Arabic, English, based 100% on Islamic text. Visit website. Hey, TD. Uh, free book on jihad. What are you saying? That we should all go on jihad? I don't know. We need to talk. Whoever you are, give me a text. Let's see what's going on. We don't do jihads. <laughs> All right, Monica. Marshall says, thank you for your love, Father. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, Monica, you got it. I agree with you. Uh, Cindy is saying thumbs up. Laquita is saying very good question. Ah, I like it. We're going to have a great talk. You know, my friend Sietta, I don't know if she's listening or not, but she asked me to do a study on something about sacrifices during the millennial reign. Will we have actual sacrifices? Because in the book of Ezekiel, it appears that we're going to have animal sacrifices. Maybe we're going to have barbecues, but I don't know if we're going to be eating in glorified bodies. But then again, God loves to eat. He loves food. Even in the garden, he gave us food. I just don't know about that. I'm, I'm trying to get geared to that study. Been a little busy. But anyways, that's it for me. Um, folks, that's it. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Not only ring the bell and say you like this program, but would you please consider supporting this ministry? I want to say thank you to a few people out there. You know who you are that have just sent a mail with, a, with an offering to the ministry. Thank you so much. Those of you who trusted God with your first fruits, and we were the, we were the recipients of your first fruits, May the Lord bless you and overwhelm you with his goodness and glory and prosperity in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your giving to this ministry and to this work. We really do appreciate it. If you have not yet given to the ministry, you can do so on the screen, P.O. Box 100, Decatur, Arkansas, 72722. There it is, P.O. Box 100. Send your offering to New Wine Ministry. Write down what you want it for. And we'll do it. If you're just like overwhelmed going, I'm so happy, I want to give an offering. Well, praise God, we would be most thankful to receive your offering and to wave it before the Lord and bless it. P.O. Box 100, Decatur, Arkansas. If you're partnering with our ministry so that we could pay the bills each month and you're just giving out of your uh, lack or however you're doing it, God bless you and you're partnering with us so that we can get things done. And if you just have a giving spirit, so be it. There it is, P.O. Box 100. It is before the Lord. It will be recorded in the book. Every good deed we do will be future rewards. And we hope that this ministry is worthy of you getting a spiritual reward. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, 
What's the big deal if we reap your carnal things, said the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. But thank you for doing it and considering this ministry. You can also give to this ministry by going to omegaradio.org. OmegaRadio.org. There's a donations tab there. You can give online that way. You can also go to NWM Global. NWM Global, that's on the screen as well. NWM stands for New Wine Ministry. NWMGlobal.org. There's a donations tab there as well. And so praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Thank you for your giving, your considerations now, this weekend. As we leave this program together, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you and may all of his goodness and light and glory be like a candle of the Lord in your inward parts. May he shine upon your countenance and bless you big, bless you big. Stay at peace, let not your heart be troubled, and let's see what the days ahead will bring. I think we've had a very well-balanced week. We'll look forward to seeing everybody Tuesday back on this podcast. You can join us Saturday night at 5.30 or Sunday at 2 p.m. You can join us by going to Facebook or YouTube at YouTube, New Wine Ministry TV, and uh, that's where you're going to find us on YouTube and Omega Radio under Facebook. We'll see you Tomorrow night, 5.30 or Sunday at 2 p.m. And then we'll see you Tuesday right back here. And I think that's it. I think all comments have been shared and uh, all calls have come in. Have a super blessed day. We love you and bless you in Jesus' name. God is good. Amen.